when my son was about three, we were sitting at the dinner table, and uh, as soon as our kids can talk, we start asking them, would you like to pray for dinner? And usually for the first year, you know, no. But he's kind of bouncing at the table and knocking stuff over, and we're like, would you like to pray? No. Okay. Uh, would you at least, you know, be still while your sister prays? Oh, yeah. So she starts praying, dear God, crash! She knocks something off the table. We look over there, he's bouncing around. We're like, son, you said you would, you know, just keep it down just while your sister prays, and you're not doing that. And he goes, I don't even know if I believe in God. Three, three, three years old. Super cool. Um, so uh, a couple weeks later, we're riding in the car, this time with my daughter, who was uh, you know, five or six, depending on if he was three or four. And she says, Dad, if I ask you a question, will you be mad? Don't you love that one as a parent? <laughs> so I grit my teeth and say, uh, no, I'll try not to be mad, dear. She goes, well, in Kid Zone here at church, we learned about um, Moses parting the Red Sea, walking across. David kills a giant. She says, Dad, I, that stuff's hard to believe in. And then she's a firstborn, so she quickly adds, but I try real hard. I try to believe it, Dad. These are moments as a Christian parent that, uh, you know, they give you the willies. Sins will shiver up your spine, even if you think they're only half serious. You know, ooh, kind of bothers you. And uh, that in a lot of, evidently bothered a lot of you too. You send in questions. So this is our Your Difficult Questions series, where for the last year we've passed out cards every once in a while, and we'll do it this year. And you write in uh, questions you'd like to hear addressed on a Sunday morning. And uh, then we sort them into piles. We just took the four biggest piles. Now, I will confess that there was a nine-way tie for the fourth-place pile, and that's what you're getting today, is I just depict the one I thought where we could do the most good ministry. So, so this is one of your most asked questions, but it's the winner of a nine-way tie for fourth place. But uh, here, here, here are the cards you sent in. Is it normal to question your faith or God from time to time? How do I explain to my children the concept of where did God come from? What do I say when my seven-year-old tells me he doesn't believe in God? I have two children that love God and one that has a hard time with God. What can I do with, to help him with his relationship with God? These are very, very serious and heartfelt questions. I just really feel for everyone who wrote those. Um, we all relate because we want the best for our children. And for those of us who are Christian, we believe God has saved us from all sorts of sins and vices that we we're a part of or we're drawn to, and he has saved us from those things. And we believe if our children don't have God, they may fall into those things that almost ensnared us and try to ensnare us every day. They need God, and we fear for them when they don't uh, think they want him. Furthermore, there's another layer in that if God is the most important thing to us and our children are rejecting God, we can feel that they are rejecting us. There's another layer to this. There's a scary eternal question to be answered. If we believe that those who distance themselves from Jesus Christ also distance themselves from his offer of grace and eternal life, when we ask ourselves, where will our children spend eternity if they walk away from the God who offers eternal life. This is a tremendous weight for a parent to bear. Luckily, we have American culture to come and make it even heavier. 
American culture asks uh, only that parents parent perfectly so their children will turn out perfect. That's all. So uh, we only ask this of American children. They can be anything they want to be so long as they're smart, well-mannered, polite, athletic, hardworking, financially stable, and free of accidents and diseases. And if they go to the church, then they also need to believe in God. So if you as a parent produced a child who did not turn out smart, well-mannered, polite, athletic, hardworking, financially stable, and free of accidents and diseases, then you didn't do it right. And if you went to church and they didn't come out believing in God, it's because you didn't learn the right things to say. And so we, with these questions, can become terrified that we have not done right by our kids. We didn't do it right and give them what they needed. So how do you address the question like, what do I say when my seven-year-old son tells me he doesn't believe in God? And I have two children that love God, and, but one that has a hard time with God. What can I do to help him with a relationship with God? What a tremendous weight this is. <clears throat> now, every once in a while, you come to these Sunday mornings where just a few lines of Christian theology can set you free from a tremendous burden. And this is one of those mornings. This is one of those mornings where in a few lines of Christian theology that you already knew but may have momentarily forgotten can lift much of this weight. So let's learn these few lines of theology together. And the first is, and you already knew this, our faith is a gift from God. God it is God who gives us faith. Our second theology is that the Holy Spirit places desire for God in our hearts. We wouldn't have even thought to search for God or longed for him if the Holy Spirit hadn't come and placed that longing in us. Therefore, it was never your job as a parent to conjure up desire for God in the heart of your child. It was never your job to place belief in God in their heart. God always was going to do that. Now, you already knew that. You just forgot. So let's say this together. The first one is, our faith is a gift from God. We're saying it so you can hear yourself say the truth and feel how it feels. To say, our faith is a gift from God. Did you feel like you lied just then? You felt the truth of it. The Holy Spirit places desire for God in us, right? Did you go searching for God and find him hiding behind a door somewhere? Or was the experience more like God presented himself to be found and said, here I am. So it was the Holy Spirit who places desire for God in us. Go ahead. Therefore, we didn't have to do those things for our children. That's God's work. That's God's work. Let's say that together. That's God's work. We feel a little of the weight coming off. What really may eat our lunch about this question is it breaks a long-held illusion that we've been hang hanging on to for too long. The illusion of control. Somebody told us that if we did everything right, our kids would turn out right. And we were foolish enough to believe that. Somebody told us if you put your kids on a nap schedule, they will never cry. <laughs> Somebody told us if you breastfeed your child for 13.5 months, they will never be sick. 
Somebody told us if you consistently use timeouts, your children will not be defiant. Now, we all tried it. We all did it. We all got our James Dobson book and our Baby Genius CDs, and we gave it a run. Now, here's where our children were supposed to raise us and teach us life does not work like that. But some of us failed to learn this lesson, the illusion of control. So learn it now. You cannot control another human being, not even your own children. You can guide them, and you can guide them powerfully. You can influence them, and you are their greatest influence. Until they're married, they'll never know a human being more about a human life than they'll know about yours. You can influence them. Uh, you are their greatest influence, and you can encourage your children. You can discourage your children, but you cannot control your children, and if you try, you will fail. It will all go badly. Now, you might be able to get your way. You might be able to get them to say what you want them to say. You might be able to get them to do what you want them to do. But to pull that off, you will have to transform into an overbearing and manipulative person. You will get what you want, but you will lose their heart. You will not have their heart. You'll just have their obedience. And the faith that you cram down their throat will likely be short-lived or it will transform into something dark. Now, how many of you know someone who had religion crammed down their throat and then shortly after they turned 20, it just went away? Or in their adulthood, it is transformed into a dark Christian faith that doesn't make them more loving. It actually makes them more angry and bitter all the time. And they're just unpleasant to be around. How many of you, just little head nods around, if you know these people? Faith was passed to them with a plunger. <laughs> and it festered and turned it more into a cancer than something freeing down in there. Or it just leaked back out again. Here's something else you already knew. Their choice to follow God must be their choice. We all already knew that. Now, realizing the illusion of control for the first time can be very painful. I know that, that some of you may be very angry with me right now because I said you cannot control another human being, not even your own children. Now, I don't pull this out very often where I say, I'm the pastor and I've got something that I really want you to listen to, but I'm going to say it right now. As a spiritual leader in this community, I want to give a stern warning that if you cannot let go of the illusion of control, your whole family is in for an incredible amount of emotional suffering. And that will be your fault because you could not let go of an illusion that if you did everything right, you could make everyone in your family behave right and do what you wanted them to do. You cannot control another human being, not even your own children. But you can influence them, and you can guide them, and you can encourage them. And that is a far more wonderful journey than just raw control. So I want to explore that journey for the rest of the morning. That is a much more pleasant journey to go on. So let's take it. 
So these kids who express that they don't believe in God and have a hard time with God, why do they do that? There's a lot of reasons. There's a lot of reasons. And so let's explore a few. Uh, one is some kids express doubt in God um, to rile you up. They want to press your buttons and annoy you. Um, that, is my, that was my son at the dinner table, right? He's bouncing around. We said, can you settle down? Yes, yes, he wanted to. But he kept bouncing around. So I said, hey, you didn't do what you said you would do. So he's embarrassed. Well, when we're embarrassed, we lash out in anger. So he thinks, how could I? You know what? The old man, he, he's really into Jesus. In fact, he's on Jesus' payroll. So I bet this will really send him over the edge if I say, I'm not sure I even believe in this. So that's what he said. Some of these children who have these questions, have, they're just genuinely curious. That was my daughter in the back of the car. Giants and the parting of a Red Sea, she thought. That's so hard to believe in. I wonder if it's hard for, I wonder if it's supposed to be hard. So she asked. She just had a question. She was fearful I'd be mad. She wanted to let me know she was working on it, but she, she had a, a question. For some of these kids and adults who are expressing doubt, it's just their personality type. There are in this world natural doubters. Natural doubters who for them to doubt something new is unavoidable and for them healthy. That's how they form belief. Now, uh, if you're like first service and everybody else I've ever met, half of you know what I'm talking about right now and half of you don't. So let's just take a little survey so you can see this is real. How many of you, I'll raise your hand when I get all the way through it. How many of you, you're natural believers. Like you, some of you already have written me emails when I, I don't need a difficult question series. I don't write little cards and sit up all night and dissect things and analyze it six ways from Tuesday. I have something called faith and it just comes to me and I have it and I believe. I don't need to get all worked up about it and ask a million questions. How many of you relate more to that way of believing? I know and half of you are shocked. <gasps> There's people that think like that? Okay. <laughs> How many of you, you form beliefs this way. You argue, you debate, you question. You, everything to you is a radio to be taken apart, separated into a hundred pieces and then put back together. But once you've put it back together in your mind, you believe it more strongly, you think, than everybody else. How many of you relate more to that way of thinking? Oh, there's so many. Churches hate these kind of people. <laughs> it was half the room. Half the room. 40% of Lee Summit goes to church. They know that, that we don't want them here. You gotta prepare yourself that your child may just have a different personality type than you because here's what you do not do to a natural doubter. You do not stomp out their questions. When you stomp on a natural doubter's questions, they begin to feel suspicious. They begin to feel tricked, controlled, and indoctrinated. Now, how many atheists do you see on the internet, 
on YouTube, on television, in papers, and they say, and here's their story. They tell it every time. Oh, I grew up in church. I grew up in it. And one day I asked a question, and the pastor said, we don't ask those kind of questions here. Or why don't you just pray about it? Or why do you have to be like that, mom said? Why can't you just, why can't you just have faith? It's called faith, Junior. What, why are you so messed up in the head? And they began to feel like, this is what natural doubters do. Aha, uh-huh, the questions aren't allowed. Must be a conspiracy. I think I'll write a book called The Da Vinci Code right? That's what natural doubters feel. So don't stomp on their questions because a lot of those people probably were just trying to form a belief. They actually wanted to believe in God. They were trying to form that belief the way their personality type tells them. And somebody said, that's wrong. So you have to prepare yourself that your child may have a different belief personality than you have. And I've seen it go both ways. A couple years ago, we actually did have a dad who was a natural doubter and his kids weren't. And dad freaked out. He's like, they don't read enough. They don't ask enough questions. They're going to turn into sheeple. They're just going along with whatever this church says. I mean, I want them to go here. It's got great values, but I want them to question all those values first. And the kids weren't. They're just like, oh, I believe. Because that's... So you have to... You have to... Um, be prepared. Your children may have a radically different personality type than you do. And God gave them to you to shepherd. So in every case, in every case, here's what these kids, and uh, let's stay with the kids. That's the questions you asked. These are what these kids don't need. They don't need a special program from the church. Oh, we need a scrub out the atheism class for junior high. They don't need me to give you special little quips. You know, here's five things you can say to your unbelieving junior high kid that'll make them sorry they ever asked a question. You don't, you don't need that from me. Um, they don't need to be, you know, let's drop them off at the youth group. Gosh, just drop them off at the youth group. Let the youth pastor fix all this. That's what we pay those people for. That's not how it happens. It won't work that way. Uh, you don't need to change churches. A lot of people will panic when this happens. and Like, oh my, we need a church that kids think is cooler. We need a church that has even more video games and more trips to the Badlands than Lakeland has. That's, that'll fix them. Or, you know, maybe they need less. Maybe they need a church that's more serious. No video games, no trips to the Badlands. Memorize the book of James by Friday. I'll smack your hand with a ruler. Or I don't know what you're thinking, but something, you know, more serious. Now, I have never seen a kid like this fixed by changing communities. Communities. The moment of their doubt, what they may need more than anything is a stable family they've always had. So don't change church. There's a lot of reasons you might change churches. You know, the pastor doesn't make any sense would be among them. But, um, but don't change it to fix your kid's belief in doubt. That doesn't, it doesn't work that way. Uh, don't, they don't need you to uh, get them a new group of friends or switch them from private school to public school or public school to private school to fix it. Uh, there's a, a lot of reasons to decide where your child will be educated, but this belief in God thing, I've never seen fixed by that. Because that's not what's going on. What? But the person didn't ask, what shouldn't I do? They said, what can I do to help my son with his relationship with God? Here's the word. Help them to have a good, know what a good relationship is, Period. Help them know what a good relationship is, period. When your children can have a good relationship with you and good relationships in the house, a good relationship with God becomes far more possible than it was. This is you coming to God saying, what can I do with my son? He doesn't believe. And, and this is, um, I'd be so bold, this is a Holy Spirit moment where the Holy Spirit says, you don't have to be clever. This is my work. I want you to turn back around and I want you to go love that child I gave you. You can do that, can't you? You can love them. 
all relationships need, I'm gonna say four things today, including your relationship. Here's what these kids need. Acceptance. All good relationships, all of them, but including parent and child, acceptance. Acceptance says, uh, I, I, I know who you are and I accept who you are. Even when you doubt. In fact, this was my son at the dinner table. So when he said, I'm not sure I even believe in God, my wife and, said, my wife and I said, that's okay. Um, we still love you and this God you don't believe in, he still loves you too. You're like, you said that to a three-year-old? Yes, because I'm a pastor. I've been around this block before. So uh, yeah, we said that to a three-year-old to say, yeah, we still accept you. Nothing changed. Okay, so you doubt today. All relationships need understanding. Understanding says, I know what you're feeling, and I could feel that too. I could see how you could feel that. Even when you doubt. So this was my daughter in the back seat of the car. Dad, I'm not sure I believe in, or or, she didn't say that, because she's firstborn. (laughs) She said, giants and people part in Red Seas, that's hard to believe in. And I said back to her, it is hard to believe in that stuff, isn't it? She got this little grin on her face, and part of the grin was, the pastor thinks the Bible's hard to believe. But another part of her grin was, so I'm not weird. I'm not bad. People doubt. Even dad doubts. Okay. He understands me. And then I was able to say, now, as a biologist, I know, they only said the giants were nine feet tall. And as a, from anthropology, I know that there were cultures of giant people who were cast out, and so they formed in their genetic pool, made them all giants. They were giant people. And we found them and dug them up. So that one's not so hard for me. That parting of the Red Sea, though, I've never seen something like that. So that does require faith for me. And we talked about faith. All relationships need consistency. Consistency says, I love you the same and expect you the same, no matter what you're going through, even when you doubt. This was also my son at the table, because we also said to him, it's all right if you don't believe in God, you still have to be quiet while we pray. I'm sure he was hoping we'd say, you don't believe in God? Swipe that dinner off the table and get out a Bible. We gotta do something about this. And we said, no, we're still gonna eat, and you still have to be quiet while we pray. And we still love you. Nothing changed just because you stopped believing in God for five minutes. It's all right. Consistency. And this last one, enjoyment. All relationships, need, people need to know they are enjoyed and they can enjoy us. So if you're going on that Bridges Milestone Retreat they keep announcing for parents of fifth through eighth graders, this one is actually the focus of it. It's called How to Enjoy Your Teenager. And we're doing it for fifth through eighth graders so you can get some skills before it's too late. Um, So it's how to enjoy. Enjoy one another. Children need to know they're enjoyed even when they doubt. I have heard horror stories of parents who become cold toward their kids when they no longer believe in God. And the parents say, well, we have to let them know we don't stand for that sort of thing. If we're all still kissy-lovey, they'll think it's okay not to believe in God. We can't, we can't have that. Well, no, they actually need to still be loved and enjoyed. Because God still loves us and enjoys us even when we doubt. So you have to mirror that. Your kids know it freaks you out and it's not okay. You don't have to reinforce it by being nasty to them, not inviting them home for Christmas or, I don't know, taking something out of their trust fund. I don't know what you're doing, but you don't have to do that, okay? They need to still know that you enjoy them even if they're doubt. So see, you're not just helping your kids with a relationship with God. You're helping them with all relationships, period. 
including a relationship with God, where all these things exist. So kids, these kids need a safe place to work this out. Now, I don't deny they're in dangerous territory. When you distance yourself from God, you're in dangerous territory. This world is not a kind place, and without God, it is a dangerous place. But the danger takes care of itself. I'm sorry, it just happens. We don't have to manufacture it. What I'm saying is let's not let the danger for doubters come from the church. That as soon as they doubt, the church becomes a dangerous place. Totally unnecessary, and certainly not our own families. Don't let your family become a dangerous place. The world will, trust me, take care of it. We don't have to do it. There's a lot we can do to foster a place in our kids' heart for faith. We used to have a, it may still be our vision statement for kids' zones. They update these things and don't always tell me. I'm just over staff. I don't really need to know anything, I guess. I'm joking, I'm joking. They do, we have a wonderful youth staff. But our, our vision statement was uh, creating, uh, my life, I wish I remembered it. <laughs> Building a heart for Christ in kids. Building a heart for Christ in kids. So you just build a place in their heart that then God must do his work and come fill. So there's lots we can do to build a place, heart, uh, yeah, I, it was there for a minute. <laughs> build a heart for Christ in kids. Yes, so if you had your child baptized or dedicated here, you took infant baptism vows. And ironically, I promise I didn't know this, today is the day we're doing the next round of infant baptism meetings. So some of you are gonna walk out of here and go to a meeting and learn these vows. God does some amazing things. Here's one of the vows you're gonna to learn today. Do you now unreservedly dedicate your child to God? And do you promise by relying on God's power and grace through the Holy Spirit to live an exemplary life before your child? That's a great starting place. What that means is what you do and how you live will matter more than what you say. What you do and how you live the life before them will matter more than what you say. So when we launched the Fearless campaign earlier this year, I told you this story. And if I do say so myself, it was a really beautiful story about how I take my kids to the dump every year. Do you remember this one? And we stand on the truck and we throw our junk in. And then I say, now look at all these worldly possessions, TVs, furniture, cars. Notice, children, they're being run over by bulldozers. This is where everything you buy with money will someday end up. So don't love this stuff. Don't let your heart be on that pile. I thought that was a winter parenting moment. We do that every year when we go to the dump. Now, my son was sitting in the front row that Sunday morning. He walked right over to here after that service. He looked up at me and he said, Dad, I don't ever remember you saying that at the dump. <laughs> We've done that every year since he can walk. I've done it eight times. I don't remember you ever saying that. On the other hand, when I drove home from work a lot when they were that age, they would come and they'd bang on my car windows, my kids and all the other kids on the block. And they're holding up pictures. And I roll down my window and they say, we drew pictures, sir. Would you like to buy it? It's our art sale. We're raising money. Sometimes they would take rocks out of my garden, come sell them back to me. <laughs> would you like to buy some rocks? We're raising money. I said, what are you raising money for? They'd say, orphans in Haiti. Now, where did they learn that? I've never been to Haiti, and I've never told them to raise money for orphans in Haiti. 
they learned that from being around all of you. Any of you that were ever in a video because you went to Haiti? Or any of you that ever stood out in the lobby with the global orphan stuff? My kids saw that, and they thought, that's what we do with money. So your life lived in front of them has turned out to be far more impactful than all my little clever sermon illustrations out at the dump. So I thank you for being a community and helping to raise my kids. So live like you really believe in God. Don't live in a way that confuses them where you say one thing and then everything that goes on in the house is from another world. Because if you get that wrong, all your words will never turn back the tide. Infant baptism vow four said, do you commit yourself to pray with and pray for your child, to teach your child the scriptures and the great articles of our faith in Jesus Christ? To pray for your child. Pray together with your children. Even pray about their doubts. Lord, my son says he's not sure he believes in you. We, we pray this week you would show him something that will help him to see you. If your children are old enough where if you did that in front of them, that would be offensive, um, then pray it for them anyway in your room with the door closed at the foot of your bed. Pray for them. And lead, pray for your own tendency to want to manipulate what your children think about God. There at the foot of your bed, leave your children in God's hands because that's God's work. And you pray that you can take your hands off what's God's work and just get back to what was your work. That prayer alone will take all the time you got for weeks and months and years. Teach your children the scriptures. Uh, we recommend take five around here. And actually we recommend this for everyone, not just families with children. Families, groups of friends that work like families. Take five means to take five minutes every day and do five things. So, if you're at the dinner table or driving to soccer practice or going to bed at night, something that happens regularly, take five minutes and do five things. First thing, ask everyone, what's your high and low today? What's the best thing that happened to you? What's the worst thing that happened to you today? And then uh, read a passage of scripture. You can get it from anywhere. I highly recommend the book of Proverbs for children, but uh, any scripture will do. And then ask, how did that scripture relate to the highs and lows we shared tonight? And uh, I'll say 85% of the time there really isn't a tight match, but if you do it every night, many nights during the year, the, God, the Lord will bring you this golden moment when there's something connects. And then pray. Say a prayer based on where you are. Thanks, God, for this food. Pray for safety tonight at our game or help us to sleep well. Say a prayer. And then bless your children is the fifth one. It's where you say a good word over your kids. So uh, my kids love it when I put my hand on their head and I say, uh, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and be gracious unto you and give you peace now and forever. They love words like that. If you need a blessing for your kids, approach our youth or children's staff. They have all kinds of blessings at the ready to email you. Uh, just, just ask. Fifth infant baptism vow said, do you promise to use every means provided by God, including faithful participation in the life of the church to bring your child up in the loving discipline of the Lord? What does that mean? To faithfully participate in the life of the church means get your kids where they can see the global orphan people living a real life in the lobby and they can get that. It means show up and do the deal. 
show up and do the deal. This church has, has got a pretty hot family focus. So, you know, our single folks and our folks whose children are very grown or have never had children, they have to endure mornings like this, but the wise ones stick because they know church has to minister to everyone, including children and people with children. So a morning like this, you know, they take one for the team. Hotly family-focused. We're going to have lots of moments for faithful participation. So that means when the church says, we're gonna, it's time for Advent, we're going to be doing Advent, your response is, where's the candles? When we say, we've got a retreat coming on how to enjoy your children, your response is, do you want me to bring cookies or brownies? Right? Not, oh, I don't know if I have time. I wonder if it's good. Is it going to be cool? What are the bed accommodations? Like? Oh, no. Cookies or brownies? Because I'm coming. I'm coming to the thing for my marriage and for my family and for my children. Now, we're all, we're all very busy. So this means we all have some decisions to make. We're going to have to decide what to do with soccer, with football, with orchestra, with debate, with dance, with, you know, fill in the blank. Now, all these things are awesome things. My daughter is in choir. My daughter is in band. And I love what she is learning, the skills she's learning, the leadership, the teamwork. It's all awesome. But, but when push comes to shove between youth pastors and coaches and instructors, we're going to have to decide who wins and how often. Because I'm not saying the church ought to win every time. That, that's ludicrous. I don't do that in my life. Um, we had a, a, a wonderful concert here. The Brilliance came, played a wonderful Christmas concert in December. My son sat right over here. But my daughter had a choir concert that night. I could tell she wanted us to go. She'd worked hard, so we went and did that. Because sometimes she needs to win over, you know, dad's church gig. She needs to be the most important thing sometimes. But if that band tries to plaster camp over the top of Lakeland camp this year, we're not doing the band camp. Lakeland camp's got a Star Wars theme this year. I'll be dead before I miss that. So, so you just got to decide who wins and how often. Because if one thing wins all the time, you've just told your children that's an important thing and that's not an important thing. So be careful about who wins and how often. Also, be careful when you pull out your pocketbook, the attitude that you have. If you easily shell out money for lacrosse equipment, and then the kids want to go on a skate night with a youth group, and you go, ooh, don't you have an allowance? See, you just communicated, like, well, some things are worth mom and dad's investment, and some things are not. And you didn't mean to say that, but you got to be careful about what you fund and the attitude you have while you're funding it because it communicates what's really important in life. So who wins and how often? So Dave Ramsey has, has come to my house to get us debt-free and ruin everything. No, he's setting us free. He's setting us free. And so this year, we, oh boy, we cut down what we bought at Christmas. And we're not going on a family vacation until we are debt-free. But my daughter's participation in the youth group activities and my wife's participation in the prayer retreats, we did not cut. And we told our children, we didn't cut these things because this is groceries for your soul. We don't cut groceries because your body has to eat, whether we're in debt or not. And we didn't cut some of this stuff because your soul has to eat. You've got to feed your soul. So I'm sure they will never remember that I said that. <laughs> but that's what we're living, and I'll, that'll have to be good enough. So think about who wins and how often. Who wins and how often. 
here's what we want for all of these children and all of your children. And when they, if they go through a season of doubt, we want them to be able to say about you, my parents were never defensive when I had questions. I think they knew God would show himself to me when the time was right. My parents respected me so much, they let me have doubts and think my own thoughts, even when those thoughts were crazy and misguided. My parents loved me, even when I didn't believe like they believed. My parents were so accepting, so understanding, so consistent in their love for me, so full of joy for me that it was easy for me to believe that God was all those things as well. It was easy for me to believe that God accepts me, God understands me, God is consistent with me, and God enjoys who he made me to be because I'd already experienced a relationship like that times two with my parents. We want Lakeland kids to grow up and say, my church taught me. They didn't indoctrinate me. You know, I, want to, I said times two with my parents, but you know what? Uh, single parents, you can do that too. It didn't have to be times two. Largely unnecessary comment if you just got some wave of angst about that. A single parent who shows consistency, acceptance, understanding, and love is, is more than enough. You're fine. We want them to say about the church, my church taught me. They didn't indoctrinate me. My church guided me. They didn't manipulate me. My church hoped for me. They certainly were not afraid for me, and they definitely weren't afraid of me and my questions. My church accepted me even when I rejected them. My church understood me when I didn't understand myself. My church was there for me even when I was barely there. My church celebrated me in every milestone of my life, and in this way, they were the grace of Jesus Christ to me. And when I finally accepted him, I knew it was with my whole heart and soul and mind and strength. We now come to a, a celebration, a community, a show up and do the deal moment, communion. So if the communion service want to come forward and prepare, the way we do communion here in our congregation is you come down front and you tear off a piece of bread from the loaf because Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, this is my body broken for you, even you who betray me. So some of you will be tearing off this loaf for yourself and you'll be tearing it off for someone who's going through a season of doubt because Jesus' body is broken for them too. And you take that bread and you dip it in the chalice because Jesus said, this cup is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you for the forgiveness of sins. So when you dip that bread in the cup, you're accepting Jesus' forgiveness of your sins, but you're also reminding yourself that even if your children or a loved one have wandered deeply into sin, the forgiveness is already secured and waiting for them. All they have to do is answer the invitation and they can come and dip it themselves. But today... You dip it on their behalf to proclaim they're forgiven. You take it into yourself and you receive this gift from Christ. Now there's tables at the edges where you can kneel and pray. You can pray for your own doubts. You can pray for those you love who are doubting. You can pray that you can give up your need to control and manipulate what your loved ones think and do when it comes to God. You can leave them at that table and walk back to your seat answering what God really wanted you to do, which is go back and love those people as he would love them. 
So you go down the side aisles and we'll come back, we'll worship with a song that proclaims, this is God's world. I'd like to pray with you before we come forward. And if you, if you don't mind, I'd like to pray with the words of a really oh, cheesy Christian song from the 90s, but it expresses our heart that for, toward those who doubt that we love. So let us pray together. I'll leave the light on like I do every night. And it may take a lifetime or it may be tonight, but I'll leave the light on for you. Lord, make us a church and a, and a people that leave the light on for those who are coming home as you leave the light on for all those you are drawing to yourself. In the name of Christ we pray, amen. Come forward when you're ready. Amen. Next week, the next difficult question uh, was, uh, came in kind of two groups. One, what does the church, Lakeland, this community, feel about divorce and the people who have gone through it? And then what would God in the scripture have to say about divorce and the people who have gone through it? So very thick, very thick question. We will give it um, the best attention that we can give it. Um, and I, I pray that in the week to come, God will prepare all hearts and, and everyone involved in communicating that well. So if that is something you want to hear or you know someone who would, we pray that all would be present for that next week. Let us stand together and we'll give you the benediction, this is another one of those blessings uh, that you could say over your children. Peace of the Lord Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storms. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.